All right. We are in the Acts of the Apostles. I've been doing a mini-series called Their Miracles and Their Message. And we're in chapter 17. And let's just dive right in. When they had passed through Amphipolis and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah, Christ, Messiah, same word, had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. There are four words in this scripture reading that made me choose this as my topic, that set my mind for the whole lesson. And they're the four words you would have never picked. And that's what I like to do. I like to teach pieces of the Bible that often get overlooked by other people. Um, it's in verse 2, and these are the words, as his custom was. Why is it that it says Paul's custom was to go into the synagogue and reason from the scriptures? Well, it was. He just says it was, but why? And we're going to talk about that this morning. I want you to know that this is the pattern. And if you got your note sheet with you, this is where we're going to start filling some notes in. Saul would travel from city to city. Saul, he became Paul. He'd teach at the local synagogue and tell them that Jesus is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, the Son of God, who died for their sins and rose again. Some of the Jews would believe, as he would reason with them from the Scriptures, and many of the Gentiles would believe, just like we saw here. Some of the Jews were persuaded, and a large number of God-fearing Gentiles, and not a few prominent women. And this is the same pattern. Everywhere he went, same response. He'd go to a synagogue, he'd preach the gospel. Some Jews would believe, many Gentiles would believe. Then, the Jews who didn't believe would oftentimes get agitated, and they would resist his message, oppose Paul, often violently, kick him out of town, sometimes even stone him on his way. I say on his way because usually being stoned is the end of your journey, but when you're an apostle and it's not your time to go, it's not your time to go. You get stoned and you get up again. Happened to Paul more than once. So, why does he go to the synagogue first? Especially in light of this verse. Listen. There's one God and one mediator between man and God, the man, Messiah, Jesus. He gave himself to ransom everyone. That's why I was appointed, Paul's writing this, that's why I was appointed as the herald and the apostle to the Gentiles. So, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. And where does he go first? To the Jews. That doesn't make any sense. If you're the apostle to the Gentiles, you go to the Gentiles. There are 11 other apostles to the Jews, and only one to the Gentiles, and yet wherever he went, he went to the Jew first. And amazingly, this apostle to the Gentiles, using this strategy, ended up converting the entire Roman world. All the Gentiles came to faith. You would think, in your wisdom, in my wisdom, that you'd if your mission is the Gentiles, you'd focus on the Gentiles. His mission was the Gentiles, so he focused on the Jews. Go figure that. It's not unlike what I've heard modern-day missionaries do. They would take a trip to the bush, and they'd want to win a tribe. So who was their first target? 
the chief. Because if they could get the chief, they could get the tribe. Now, if they couldn't get the chief, they may still get some of the tribe, but their target's always the chief. In God's plan, the Jewish people are at the center of getting the world saved. Paul knew this, and he followed the plan. He always went to the Jews first. I got a picture of a traditional synagogue from those days. This is the one in Nazareth that was rebuilt, if I'm not mistaken. And you notice how in the middle it's kind of open. On the sides are the seats. Those would be the chief seats. In the middle, you know, maybe the younger people would sit or stand during prayers. And oftentimes synagogues were two-storied. Um, I don't think this one was... I'm not, I don't remember if this one had a balcony or not. They weren't that big. This would have been considered a very large synagogue from those days, very large. Half this size. Just this one row, that would be the size of the synagogue. And he'd go from town to town. When he wrote to the Roman church, which he didn't visit, somebody else planted that church. He went and visited it later, but he wrote them a letter called Romans. Here's what he wrote to them. This is Paul talking, the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek it's important to know this. God's not done with Israel. The Jewish people are still his chosen people. Now, when I say Israel, you're immediately thinking of the land somewhere near the Jordan River in the Mediterranean and the people that are there. And that's true. That is Israel. But that's not Israel. That's only a fraction of Israel. Israel, generally speaking, refers to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. So there are a lot of Jewish people there in the land called Israel. That's good. But when the Bible references Israel, it's just talking about all Jewish people. Because here's the thing. For close to 2,000 years, that land was devoid of a significant Jewish population. There was no Jewish nation there. But Israel still existed. There were millions of Jews in this country and millions of Jews in other countries. That's Israel. A lot of people believed, since Israel was destroyed as a nation that God was done with the Jewish people. They let their observation influence their theology instead of their theology influence their observation. Well, the nation's gone. The Jewish people haven't come back, so God must have punished them for rejecting Jesus. And now God's working with Gentiles, the church. So God rejected the Jews and has replaced them with the church. It's as if God had a child he didn't like anymore, so he got rid of him and adopted a new one. That's nasty. What a, what a bad theology. Can you imagine doing that yourself to one of your children? But that's the belief in much of Christianity. And that's what I want to teach you from this passage, as his custom was. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. So even though two-thirds of the church believes that, or the so-called church, it's not true. God has not rejected the Jewish people. And you don't have to, like argue the scriptures. Well, you've got these passages and I got these passages and maybe you're right, maybe I'm not. The Bible clearly says that God hasn't rejected the Jewish people. Listen to Paul from Romans 11. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. He says, I'm also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people. Here's the apostle Paul. People are arguing with him that God is done with the Jews. He goes, hello, I happen to be one. God's not done with the Jewish people. God made an everlasting covenant with the nation of Israel. If he hadn't, it'd be okay. He can raise up nations and tear down nations and start nations and end nations. He's welcome to do what he wants. He's God. But if he promises that a certain nation will endure forever, 
and they don't, we've got a serious problem. In the Bible, time and time again, God said that the Jewish people would be his forever. Let me give you one example of many scriptures from Jeremiah the prophet. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, the sun shining, the waves roaring. If these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel cease to be a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below searched out will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of what they have done, declares the Lord. Oh, God rejected the Jews because they rejected Jesus. God said that would never happen. He said it in the Old Testament. He said it in the New Testament. I like this verbiage, only if the heavens could be measured and the earth found out. I just saw in the news report yesterday that a recent scientific discovery, about 400 miles under the earth, there's an ocean, three times the size of all the world's oceans combined right now. We just figuring that out? I mean, the flood of Noah kind of told us the fountains of the deep were burst open and the world was flooded. But I think it's cool that here we are at the pinnacle of human knowledge and science, and we've just figured out that 400 feet below, there's a huge, huge, huge vast amount of water. I think it's cool. The point is, only if the foundations of the earth below can be searched out, they still haven't been, or the heavens be measured, they still haven't been. The point is, God says, as enduring as the cosmos, and as the planet Earth is the nation of Israel. I don't remember which king it was, and it was from guys from as famous as Mark Twain to, oh, what's that Russian author? Tolstoy, I think it was. Um, some of the, just very world-famous thinkers and writers have time and again spoken about the Jewish people and even challenged, you know, there was one guy, he was asked by a king, give me any proof that God exists. And his answer was, the Jews, your majesty. Because there has never been a people more despised and hated than the Jewish people. Nation after nation have made it their goal to wipe out the Jewish people. And they have failed. Where are the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites? They're gone, and yet Israel still exists. Why are they gone and Israel's not? Because God has a plan, and nothing can frustrate his plan. This is what God says about the Jewish people in Romans 9. They are the people of Israel. They have been adopted as God's children. You realize anti-Semitism means you have to hate Jesus, and you have to hate all of God's children. So I guess if you're an anti-Semite and you love, hate the Son of God, you've got to hate God too. Anti-Semitism is of the devil. They are the people of Israel. They have been adopted as God's children. God's glory belongs to them. So do the covenants. They received the law of God. They were taught to worship in the temple. They were given the promises. The founders of our nation belong to them. Christ comes from their family line. He is God over all. May he be always praised. Amen.
So God chose Israel to bring the Messiah to the world. But something horrible happened. They didn't recognize him. The Messiah that they had been waiting for for thousands of years came, and they stumbled in their faith. If it wasn't for the Jewish people, there would be no Jesus. We owe the Jewish people a debt of gratitude. And the best way to pay it back is to bring Jesus back to them. They lost him, so we have to help them find him. Let me draw you a little something here. <laughs> that was a... <laughs> he said, I'll put that over there for you. I can't throw a stone, brother. I'm forgetful too, so... But you're fired. <laughs> All right. So here's the situation. God... I can say he chose the Jewish people, but it's better to say he created the Jewish people so that he could do something with them. He made them to use them. And he gave them the gospel and the Bible and the Son of God. Well, what I've got here is a wheel. This is what I call the cycle of salvation, and we'll go back to it again in a few moments. Uh, Jewish people walk in with God, and all is good. But unfortunately, they stumbled. They fell. They're no longer walking with God. They had Jesus, but didn't recognize him. Paul went from synagogue to synagogue to bring them the gospel. And after they rejected, he would then go to the Gentiles. And many, many, many Gentiles came to faith. Again, this is the salvation cycle. Remember, God has a plan to save the world, and the Jewish people are key to that plan. So they bring us the Bible. They bring us the Messiah. And a lot of people think that's the end of their job. It's not the end. It's a cycle. So they bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Thankfully, now we have Book of Life Community Church and all the other churches out there. But it doesn't stop there. Now, we have the responsibility bringing the good news of the Messiah back to the Jewish people. That's the wheel. That's how it works. If you cut off this part of the wheel, imagine a car with a wheel shaped like that. It's not going to move forward. God has a plan. This is his plan. If we don't do our part, his plan doesn't move forward. We can find ourselves resisting God's plan through either anti-Semitism or inactivity or lack of passion for God's program. Romans 11. Again, again, here's what I ask. They didn't trip and fall once for all time, did they? They didn't stumble beyond recovery, did they? Not at all. Because Israel sinned, those who aren't Jews can be saved. That will make Israel jealous of them. Israel's sin brought riches to the world. Their loss brought riches to the non-Jews. What greater riches will come when all Israel turns to God? I'm talking to you who are not Jews, and I'm still reading from Romans 11 here. I'm talking to you who are not Jews. I am the apostle of the non-Jews. I hope somehow to stir up my own people to want to have what you have. Perhaps I can save some of them. When they were not accepted, it became possible for the whole world to be brought back to God. 
So what will happen when they are accepted? It'll be like life from the dead. Here's what he's saying. Paul says the Jewish people stumbled in faith. And as a consequence, the world got saved. How awesome is that? That's a pretty good consequence. They do something bad, and look at the amazing thing that happens. Imagine, then, what awesomeness could happen when they get saved again. And so I'm picking my brain. What's more awesome than this? Well, there's only one thing left. That's the return of the Messiah and the kingdom of God here on earth. And so it seems to be saying that this is tied to Jesus' return. And if we're not doing this, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. It's almost like we're saying, Jesus, you can come back, but not yet. Through us not being on board with his plan. His plan is to save the world, but we're not in step with his plan. To think that maybe, just maybe, it's the church of God keeping Jesus from coming back is a horrific thought. And yet it's not at all unbiblical. It's a scary thought. The relationship between Jews and Gentiles in God's plan of salvation is expressed many times. One of the other places, also in Romans, it talks about an olive tree. So picture an olive tree. And here's what it says. If the Jews don't persist in their unbelief, they will be grafted in again because God is able to graft them in. After all, if you non-Jews were cut off from what is naturally a wild olive tree and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much easier it'll be for these natural branches to be grafted back into their own olive tree. I don't want you to be ignorant of this secret, brothers. Oh, he's going to tell us a secret. Listen up. A partial hardening has come on Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. Wow. Three things in those last couple of verses I want to draw your attention to. Really, first word, partial. There is a partial hardening on Israel. So many people say the Jewish people are blinded and this, that, and the next thing. Well, a lot of people are blinded. But the Apostle Paul said it's partial. I know a lot of Jewish people who follow God and believe in Jesus. You're looking at one. Yeah, Israel is hardened, but only partially. Now let me ask you, are the Gentiles hardened? Yeah, but partially. It just happens to be more Gentiles than Jews. For you, those of you who don't know, a Gentile is just a non-Jew. So the first thing I want you to know about what I just read is that Israel's hardening is only partial. There's plenty of Jews who still pursue God. Secondly, it says it's temporary. This hardening is only temporary. This partial hardening is going to be removed someday. Temporary, it says, until the full number of Gentiles comes in. There's still too many Gentiles out there that don't believe. We need to be preaching the gospel. We need to go out there and spread the word. And then this amazing statement which is a quote from the Old Testament, all Israel will be saved. There's a problem with reading the Bible out of context. Sometimes context is right around what you're reading. 
Sometimes it's the bigger picture. And if you don't know the bigger picture, you can't really develop a strong understanding of what the Bible teaches on any given topic. I hope you received my email blast on Friday about studying in context. I gave two examples of how it's important, one that ties into this, this morning's lesson and one that tied into your reading this week. This would be another example. All Israel will be saved. I know for a fact that if you take that out of context, it means something totally different than what it means. How can all Israel be saved? Does that mean all the Jewish people who rejected Jesus all these years are going to heaven without even believing in him? Well, that's contrary to the gospel. Jesus said, unless you believe, he's talking to Jewish people. He said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So obviously it's not saying that all Jewish people, just because they're Jew Jewish, universally get saved. But there's going to be a time coming when the hardening's removed. There'll be a handful of people left called the remnant. And every one of them will be, be believers. And all Israel will be saved. Must refer to the Jews alive at the time of the fulfillment. Obviously, you can't refer to all Jews at all time. So back to your note sheet. Again, a summary of God's plan for saving the world. Started with the Jews. They brought the Bible and the Messiah to the world. The, number two, the Jews stumbled in their faith. Now, up here we've got three steps, but on your notes I gave you more details. So follow whichever one you want. Number one, it started with the Jews. Number two, the Jews stumbled in their faith. They primarily rejected the Messiah. Number three, that opened the door for bringing the Messiah to the rest of the world. Number four, it's now the world's duty to bring the Messiah back to the Jewish people. Number five, Israel's partial hardening of heart will end and all of Israel will be saved. And number six, the results of that will be tremendous. As the scripture says, life from the dead. Romans eleven twelve. If their stumbling means riches for the world, and if their fall means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full participation mean? For if their rejection results in reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance bring but life from the dead? All of that because of those words that most people overlook as his custom was. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, knew God's plan. He was full on board. Everywhere he went, he first brought the gospel to the Jewish people. Several of them would be saved. Those that weren't would then chase him out, and it would be a catalyst for bringing the message to the rest of the world, and they caught the world on fire. I do not believe this plan is supposed to be any different today. That when we send people out, we're supposed to bring the message of the Messiah back to the Jewish people and then to hit the rest of the world. That very famous passage of Scripture that you all have memorized hopefully will take on just a different slant now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, I thank you 
for revealing to us your plan to bring salvation to the world. And for those of us who have been unaware of it, thank you for letting us now be aware of it. Uh, but show us, what would you have us do as individuals? How would you have us reach out to the Jewish community? How would you have us promote Messiah to the Jew first and also to the Gentile? Lord, I, perhaps it's high time that we started a missions team here. I don't know. I just pray that you would guide us and help us to be on board with your plan because we don't want to hinder Jesus' return. We want to speed it up. May you come quickly, Lord, we pray. Amen and amen.